Adventure has its own style. It's made of tall trees, unpaved trails, and at the center, the most capable Subaru Forester yet, the 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness. It comes with 9.2 inches of ground clearance paired with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and advanced dual-function X-Mode. Discover adventure on a deeper level. The 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness. To explore all you can do with the rugged Subaru Wilderness family of vehicles, visit Subaru.com wilderness. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Welcome to another episode of Truth Be Told, the podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mullen. And this is, of course, the comedy storytelling podcast that is recorded in the heart of downtown Toronto, right here in my messy bedroom. Yeah, I'm surrounded by filth, but my heart is filled with love. That's the energy I'm going for for this episode. Lots of love. If you've never heard the show before, it's very easy to understand. Simple concept. Each episode, there is a different theme. And I get amazing, wonderful guests on the show. And they tell true stories from their life that revolve around that particular theme. And because of that, we have a pretty good time. And hopefully you do too. This episode is going to be a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Highs and lows. So let's buckle up. Let's start things off on a positive note. I'm going to share some positive news with you guys. First bit of positive news. I went to the Canadian Podcasting Awards. I had never been. It was so exciting. I had a really great time. Last year, Truth Be Told won the Canadian Podcasting Award for Best Society and Culture Series, which was, I mean, so exciting for me because I'd never won anything in my career. Um, Unfortunately, I was unable to attend. But this year, I was able to attend. And I showed up, and we were nominated for three awards, which were... People's Choice, I believe, Best Documentary Series, and Best Personal Series. All great categories. I was very excited. Um, I showed up. I mingled with other podcasters. I ate finger food, which was delicious. And by the end of the night, truth be told, walked away with the award for Best Personal Series, which... Guys, I'm so I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. It was uh, a really lovely and validating experience. And I just want to say really quickly, thank you to the Canadian Podcasting Awards for putting on such an amazing event and 
putting the time and energy and money into celebrating something that could so easily be overlooked, which is the world of Canadian podcasting. It is very lonely making a podcast. You spend so much time sitting on your bed, talking into a microphone, wondering if anyone's fucking listening. And it can be a bit demoralizing at times. So when an event like this is put on and you see a community of people coming together and celebrating one another, it can feel, like I said, it can feel validating and you feel like you have purpose a little bit. So thank you to the Canadian Podcasting Awards, not just for giving me an award, but also for supporting that community. Thank you also to the Sonar Network, who produces my podcast. Congrats to them on winning a few awards that evening with a bunch of their other shows. Uh, but thank you for producing this show and putting it out to the masses. Listen to me, guys. I'm, I'm literally giving you an acceptance speech. Buckle up. It's happening. Deal with it. We're here now. Um, oh, also... I would just like to say thank you to anyone who listens to the show. Yes, I'm talking to you. Yes, you. Yep, you. I'm talking to you. Thank you for listening to this show and for maybe you voted for it. Uh, and maybe that's why it won the Canadian Podcasting Award. I don't know. I just want to say thank you for supporting this show and being a fan of it. And thank you to those who've written in and given me their feedback. I appreciate it. You're all fabulous. And it warms my heart. It really does. Okay. So now we have to switch gears and get into the more heavy stuff of the episode, because this, this episode's topic is a little uh, heavier than normal. Every few episodes, I make sure to put in a topic that's not so light and fuzzy, because I think variety is important. It's important that we laugh on this show, but I don't want to just shovel candy into your ears and into your mouth. I want to give you a full steak dinner with all the trimmings. We need to have your steak and, and your broccoli and your potatoes and your green beans, you know? This is, this is a well-rounded auditory meal. You need your nutrition. So that's why we have some stories that are a bit sadder today. The topic of this episode is loss and saying goodbye. I can feel some of you bristling, but uh, let me just tell you, even though some of the stories that I have on the show today are sad, they also are quite beautiful, and um, I think they're so important to hear. So thank you to my guests who were on the show and were so brave and so forthcoming and, and honest with their truth. I really appreciate it, you guys. You made this episode beautiful. All right, so before we get into loss and saying goodbye in a more dark way, I thought it would be fun for my portion of the episode to, to take a different angle on loss. 
Maybe something lighter. So this segment is called loss of innocence. And I thought, what's a what's a way to lose your innocence that's not quite as harrowing um, as uh, a nightmare could imagine? But what is a way to lose your innocence that is very funny to me? And I thought, ooh, it would be very, very bad to walk in on your parents fucking each other. Or making love. I think making love might even be worse. What's worse? Is it worse to watch your parents, like, hardcore pounding one another? Or is it worse to see them, you know, speaking poetry in each other's ears and, and, and slowly grinding into one another? Sorry for that visual. I'm very lucky. I've never had to walk in on my parents doing the nasty. So I'm very thankful for that. But unfortunately, for people that wrote to me, <laughs> y'all aren't so lucky. Um, I, put a, I put out a call on social media asking for stories of people um, walking in on their parents having sex, and you guys delivered and then some. So, let's just get this started. All right, so... The first DM I received, or one of the first DMs I received, is from someone named Alex. And he said, I heard them on my way to the bathroom as it was right beside their room, and at first I thought my mom was throwing up or constipated. <sighs> well, uh, Alex, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe that just means your parents are doing it right. Right? If mom sounds... Like, she can't shit. That's kind of like pleasure, right? Whew. Okay, what else we got? Ooh, this next one is from Nolan. Nolan writes, I had a moment of being in the same room while my parents did the nasty. I was in an old school motorhome in Nova Scotia one family vacation. They didn't know I was there. I woke up at the end and had to listen to the pillow talk afterwards. I was around 10 years old, so I kind of knew what was going down. So, of course, I, I was curious, so I asked Nolan, what was their pillow talk like? To which he responded, they were just talking about the sex they just had. Which I love. I love that so much. Um, I love that his parents are just talking about the the lovemaking sh session they just experienced. What is it like? Oh, honey, I love that new move you made. I like that thing you're doing with your hips now. Oh, wow. Your tongue is, is so different. What are you doing? I love it. So good. All right, this next one is from someone named Mar. And Mar writes, So I'm about six or seven years old at the time. At night, I couldn't fall asleep very well, so I used to watch TV with my dad late at night. One night, I woke up and I went downstairs to hang out with my dad. However, I walked in on my parents doing the 69 position on the living room floor in front of the TV. They never found out I saw 
and I kept my mouth shut. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, that's so horrible! Oh my god! 69? Like, that is such a... I feel like that's a maneuver for when you're first dating. I mean, good on them for keeping it fresh, but 69, it's so complicated. There's just so much sensory overload. Yeah, I don't know how people do 69. How are you supposed to focus on down there when you're focusing on up here and and the, the bottom's in the top and the top's in the bottom and everything's in your face and everything's just so close. I'm... Guys, too complicated. But good for his parents. I'm so sorry you had to experience that, Mar. I hope you've been getting therapy. All right, the last one is from someone named Kay. And Kay writes, When I was younger, I caught my mom having phone sex with a man who wasn't my father, and she denies it to this day. But I know what I heard, and she acted so guilty that I know it's true. Okay, that, that took a really hard left turn. We were having some fun stories, and now this seems to be a bit of an infidelity story. Wow. Wow, that's not even funny. I'm just worried now. Man, okay. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Kay. Thank you to all the people that wrote in. Um, you've given us all so much to think about. Guys, on the bright side, if you walked in on your parents, you know, bumping uglies or whatever, it's important to remember that that means that their their marriage is strong, most likely. It means that they're still into each other, which means your parents will probably stay together, I think. What's sad is when your parents are sleeping in different rooms and then they're like, oh, your dad has a snoring problem. No, he doesn't. Your dad has a fucking problem. Yeah, that's what's happening there. Okay. All right. Guys, that was fun. Loss of innocence. Fun. Um, but now I'm going to read you the quote of the episode. This quote is by famed cartoonist and uh, children's book author. You probably remember him from your own childhood. Shel Silverstein. He wrote like The Giving Tree. He also wrote a book called Everything on It. And that's where this quote comes from. There are no happy endings. Endings are the saddest part. So just give me a happy middle and a very happy start. I think that's very beautiful and very bittersweet. And honestly, that's kind of how I feel about ending the podcast. There's no happy way to do it, really. But one thing I feel so happy about with having had the podcast at all is that it's like I own this time capsule. It's like way better than a photo album. I have these recordings of people when they're in their element, when they're telling a story and they're they're saying something truthful. And I feel like I have these like 
15 to 20 minute um, moments of life. And I've captured so many moments of people that I didn't know very well, but also people that were friends and some of which that were even family members and people I really care about. And I think when I'm really old, I think I'll be able to listen to these and and feel connected. And I think that's so beautiful. I'm very I'm very appreciative of all of you guys. Thank you for listening to this show and please keep listening up until the end. I appreciate you so much. I really do. Let's get into our stories. I'm sitting with my very good friend, Michael Royick. Hello. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Uh, Michael Michael has known me since I was 16. Uh, he and I met at the Loose Moose Theatre Company many, many moons ago. And he is a performer, an improviser, and a film producer. How are you doing? Great, thanks. Great. Uh, now, it sounds all light and happy right now. And mostly our friendship is actually pretty light and happy. I- I'm actually couch surfing at your house right now. That's right. Thank you for letting me sleep in your um, teenage son's bed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's actual uh, like sports bed sheets. Yeah, and the the bed that you're sleeping in is the the first bed that I've ever had. My father made it for me when I was a kid. Oh my god, this I feel so special. This yeah. is so special. Thank I lost you. my virginity in that bed too. You're lying. No, my Clark, I can't tell if you're joking. No, it's true. What? Yeah. You didn't tell me that. It's true. You lost your virginity in the bed I'm sleeping in? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to try to get back to what we were going to talk about. That That's crazy. I'm going to have to process that at some point. Oh, my God. I'm having so many weird dreams in that bed. Uh, okay, Michael. Crazy. Um, so you have a, a real heavy story. Um so thank you so much for being uh, courageous enough to actually share something private um, from when you were a kid. Take us there. Yeah, when I was, uh, I grew up in uh, Winnipeg, uh, and you've been to my house, Lindsay, where, where my uh, my parents still live there. Yes. It's uh, in the north end of Winnipeg. It's right next to a curling club. It's always been a really great city to grow up in and be a kid. You know, traffic's light, and it felt like a small town, but it's yeah. still a big... It's a city? city, but it has small town vibe. Yeah, really yeah. great. Uh, I've got two older sisters, uh, and when I was really young, my parents often had foster children. My, How uh, young were you? Uh, I was probably uh, maybe six when they stopped having foster kids. Oh, when it wow. just became too much. My mom went back to work, and it was just a little uh, too much for them to take on. Okay. Yeah, but my uh, my mom grew up uh, on in um, uh, like on the Hudson's Bay in uh, up north. Uh, my dad grew up on a farm just south of the city, and uh, when my mom moved to the city, she saw all these kids around in, in the streets and wherever, and she felt like now that she was married and had kids of her own and she was established, that it it was kind of a duty to take care of some of these kids, pay it forward in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So we often had uh, foster kids. And when I was 
really young, there were more. Uh, but then as I grew older, there was really only one or two that were around. And one in particular, uh, his name was Kevin. Uh, and I'd say that his name was because he's since changed his name. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he was maybe a year and a half older than me. And just one of the, the kindest kids that you could ever dream to have in your house. My, my parents were, would still talk about just how gentle of a, of a soul he was. And you guys were close? So close. Really? In fact, back to that bed, my dad actually <laughs> made two of them. Oh. Handmade two of these beds, uh, one for me and one for Kevin. That's how close he was in the family. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember Saturday mornings, uh, and my, my parents have pictures of this. He'd be lying on the, on the floor watching TV. And uh, I was like, you know, two or three, I'd be lying on top of him. Oh <laughs> my gosh. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, really, really close connection. Really, really good. He was really my brother. I felt like he was my yeah. brother. Uh, I remember one Christmas, uh, he got some presents from, from my parents. Uh, and he, uh, he was only there for the morning. He had to, had to leave in the afternoon to go back to, uh, the, back to the foster home, uh, mm-hmm. or the, you know, the, the place where he lived most of the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or maybe half of the time. Uh, and I got a Spider-Man car and a Spider-Man figurine. And it had like a little, had like a little net that the, that the car could shoot out the back, like a Whoa, spider that's web. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Kevin liked it so much and we were playing with it and when he left I gave it to him to when he went for the day when he went at the end of the day like that was my big Christmas present and I gave it to that's him that's how close that's big for like a how old were you I was probably about five that's that's a big move for a five-year-old yeah, yeah. sharing it all <laughs> <laughs> wow okay yeah so uh so you were you were close with him very close yeah uh there was uh uh I knew that eventually, I think I knew, maybe I didn't know, I was really just a kid, uh, but I remember uh, him being really excited about uh, moving away, and I, I didn't really understand, uh, but these, uh, we were, uh, it was just like a regular night, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, my parents were making a fuss, like they were having a company over, which was really common, they had, uh, and they still do have, entertain and have company all the time, uh, and uh, this family came this this couple uh and i found out that they were adopting kevin uh and they were taking him uh, away they lived in the in the u.s i think in uh, minnesota or something wow yeah so what i kevin and i we just thought it was a party and we all had dinner together and then kevin and i went down to the basement and we were under the stairs where we often played if we were wanted to be away from everybody uh, and we were talking about how uh, uh, how how the next time we got together, it was going to be such a big party and all the different cakes and desserts that our our parents were going to make for us and and what a wonderful celebration it would be. Did he understand the concept of him being adopted? I mean, you said he was excited to go. Yeah. So he understood better than you what was happening. He did. Yeah. He knew he knew he was going away with these uh, with this new family. Hmm. Uh, but I don't think I really did. I was just like, yeah, we're going to have another party soon. Uh, but that was the last time I saw him. Oh my God. He, uh, 
he left uh, that night with uh, with the family, uh, and I, my mom was crying, and I didn't I didn't understand why, uh, but I saw that uh, he was leaving and leaving with these uh, with his family, and I was confused, I guess. Uh, and I turned to my mom and I said, "When are you going to give me away?" Oh my God. You actually asked her that. Yeah, I guess I I didn't understand what was happening. So she, uh, yeah, she just said never and gave me a hug and we both cried. Oh my God, that's, that's so, I mean, of course that's what you said, right? Yeah. Like that, imagine how small your world is when you're that age. Mm Mm-hmm. That is probably the first, I'm guessing, major loss you've ever experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. What was your mom's reaction? Do you remember when you said that? Like, I mean, just on her face? She, she I think she was kind of confused herself. She she had no idea how big of an impact it would have on me to see my brother leave. So it made her really sad. And I can see right now, like, I've known you a long time and I've never seen you get emotionally worked up the way you are right now. I've never even seen that, which, um, like, it's amazing that that can still trigger a response so many years later. Yeah, just telling you the story, I feel like I'm welling up and I feel like the tightness in my my chest. (laughs) Yeah, I can see the lump in your throat. I can practically (laughs) see it, Michael. Um, So you've never seen him ever again? No. However, my mom found him on Facebook about four years ago. Oh, my God. And he... Uh, so this is the part that broke my mother's heart. And this is, the, and this is why I never saw him again. After my, uh, my parents and the family exchanged information, and uh, they said, we'll keep in touch. But about two weeks after Kevin left, we got a letter from the mother saying, please don't contact us at all. We want to make a clean break. We don't want to have to deal with with his, you know, still holding on to this, Past. his old family. Oh my God. So it really, it really broke her heart, but she respected their wishes, didn't, didn't go looking for them or didn't, didn't write them on his birthday or Christmas or anything. You're, you're a father of two. And I want to ask you, I mean, everyone makes their own choices, but how do you feel about that decision now that you've grown up and you've been a parent for a long time? Do you think that was a good call that she made? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so at all. And uh, when my mom eventually did find Kevin, it, it turned out that that the household was really abusive and, and they had a lot of problems. And, oh, uh, and it wasn't man. until he was out of that and he dealt with a lot of his his issues and i've i've chatted with him uh back and forth messaging and 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 in fact i told him uh just what i remembered from that that last night together uh and i think he he let it sink in because he didn't write back for for a few days and when he did he just said you know i love you too you've always been my brother that's amazing you know what, that's, I'm sure even your mom, even though she doesn't, she shouldn't have to carry it, I wonder if there's guilt because like, 
you know, you set the process in motion. I guess it's not really up to her. The agency picks the parents. But, I mean, there must be this weird feeling of, like, he could have had a better life with you guys. Yeah. is a weird thing to think about. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with that being your mom's responsibility. But it's weird when you almost see two paths. Right. There's the path that happened. Mm-hmm. And the path that could have happened. It, it, especially when you you make it sound like he fit in so well with your family. He did, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think I, I think and now being a parent and and thinking about your question, Lindsay, I I I think that I would certainly expect some element of of guilt because, you know, you you think you're doing what's best for for this little boy who you who you love and you care for uh, and you want what's best for them. But that you know, it, it maybe it would have been better if if uh, if he had stayed with us. Well, you know, it's that is such a hard story. So it's hard for me to. I'm not even going to attempt to wrap a bow on it. It's just one of those things that's really sad in life that you learn from. Actually, I don't think it's a happy story. But um, the fact that you get to talk to him later in life and there's that bit of closure or. Or that you know you meant as much to him. Yeah. He's huge. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah, he's a I think he's in Pennsylvania. He's a he works as a roofer. He's married. He's very happy. He's been clean and sober for several years. Okay. And uh and yeah, maybe there's a there's a follow up to this interview because I'd like to go and meet him. And wow. Have, yeah, and have that celebration we talked about forty years ago. I will bring a cake. <laughs> I will bring some of the cakes mentioned before. Michael, that was so wonderful. I feel like we took a big step in our own friendship just doing this interview. That was beautiful. Thank you. I love that story. Oh, my God. People are going to write to me about this story. <laughs> I can feel it. Um, do you have anything you want to tell anyone about, like a promo, or if they want to know more about what you do? Oh, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I'm always uh, performing at uh, Loose Moose Theatre. I'm working with uh, some really fabulous people here in uh, Calgary, like uh, Mike Peterson and Spencer Esterbrooks. Yeah, some directors and producers and just creative types making uh, independent film. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My last, uh, the my first feature film, I was an associate dr- uh, producer on called Alive, and it's killing it in the uh, f- uh, festival circuits right now. Winning, it's probably won more than uh, more than fifteen awards. That's already. amazing. Yeah, really, really happy with it. Really proud. That's of it. awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and you said michaelroyick.com. That's right. Yeah. So you can find out more about Michael Royick. Maybe contact him. Uh, all right. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank bye. you, Lindsay. Bye bye. Are you looking for love? Or perhaps you're just looking for one night of raw sexual passion. Or maybe you're just looking for a friend. Well, guess what? I have the answer to your problems. Mm-hmm. High Dating App. Spelled H-I-I-I. It's a new dating app, and it does things a little bit differently. See, with most dating apps, you match with someone, and now you have to send them a direct message, and at best, it's very awkward, because you're trying to contrive a conversation with someone you've never met, and you find them attractive. 
that's way too stressful. But with Hi Dating App, the app has quizzes and games that you can do together. So it's kind of like having a built-in icebreaker, and it takes all the pressure off. It's like playing cards against humanity with someone or showing off your sense of humor while playing a board game with somebody. It's a lot of fun. Showcase yourself while doing something together. It's a bonding activity. You guys get it. So guess what? The people at High Dating App reached out to me and they asked me to make a quiz for them. Yeah, so I actually have a quiz I wrote on the app. And since I know nothing about love, I made a quiz called What Type of Emotional Terrorist Are You? Because I thought that would be a good aphrodisiac for two strangers who are trying to connect. So you can actually take my quiz, go to hi.com slash truthbetold to find the quiz. And also, please, for the love of God, download the app. Go to the app store and download Hi Dating App. You won't regret it. Bye-bye. Oh my God, I'm sitting here with Glennis Marshall. I I was scared to say your name um, on the podcast because I was scared of screwing it up. And then you just made me laugh because what did you say? I, I always say it's Glennis like a tennis ball. Yes, your name is Glennis Marshall. Glennis like, like tennis. I, I used to say like tennis and it's still took people a while as soon as I started saying tennis ball I don't know something clicked tennis ball is much funnier um, I, people say like, oh so your name is Glennis ball it's like yeah you're mm-hmm. <laughs> so Glennis you yeah. are an improviser a sketch performer you are a young a comedic performer in <laughs> Toronto you're um truly blessed you're truly blessed, <laughs> truly blessed. and uh, this is your first podcast appearance it's my debut this is your debut is i'm a debutante you're a debutante <laughs> you're at the top of the stairs someone has announced you you're wearing uh long gloves and i'm, I'm, uh, emma, I'm emma watson and little women it's, yes you're emma watson this is your big moment everyone's at the bottom whispering um holy shit is that emma watson is, is that emma watson <laughs> no no it's, no, it's me is, it's is glennis it, marshall it's like like a tennis ball <laughs> like a you tennis know ball. like tennis oh yeah. okay um anyways yeah uh welcome welcome to the show and welcome to the world of podcasting thank you so much um so you're a very chipper sweet person we've only just met but um you seem like a very happy uh go lucky lady um but today you're here to tell me a story that's actually a bit somber and um I'm, I'm very thankful that you feel comfortable sharing something so vulnerable on my podcast. Uh, it's your story of loss. Mm-hmm. Somebody that uh, has a special place in your heart passed away. Absolutely. And uh, I would love for you to, to share the story. For sure. Uh, so this is um, the story of uh, someone who is uh, very dear to me at my uh, childhood summer camp. So this was a uh, a classic 
classic summer camp you read about in like Nancy Drew novels. Like it's Sleepaway. You know what? I love all girls. There's so (laughs) many people on this podcast who have summer camp stories. I've never really been to a traditional summer camp, but there's something about it. It changes you, man. Really? It's such a sacred space. It really is. It's hard to explain uh, to people who haven't been there, like the concept of summer camp. And then if somebody asks you about your personal summer camp, you're like, oh my God, you don't even know about my summer camp. Well, it's, kind of like, <laughs> yeah. it's like sandcastles, you know, it's like something impermanent that just kind of gets washed away. And it's, that's really, but it's beautiful. like a little culture that existed mm-hmm. and had a way, an order of things. Yeah. Traditions, things that could never change, you know? Yeah. And when you, uh, briefed me on this story before a couple days ago you um what interested me is that this is the story of losing somebody who's not necessarily someone super close like a relative or Mm -hmm. someone you know really 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 well it's one of those relationships that impacts your heart but i don't know how did you describe it (laughs) well it's yeah it's uh well, it, it is. Um, it's a. It isn't somebody whose family. The only losses I've had, really, uh, have been uh, people in my family. You know, my grandmother. I lost my uncle, mm-hmm. um, and those are all very uh, tragic. Um, but I could foresee those in a way. This was um, the only loss that I couldn't foresee, and you know. Not to not to sound uh, weird about you know losses of a family, but that that shouldn't have happened, right? You know that was and an also, anomaly in the world of loss. Yeah, and yeah. also you said something about this person represents more of an idea in your life. The the concept of of a childhood wonder. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like this person represents innocence. Absolutely. So there's so much more than just a friend. Yeah. But, um, you should tell the story. I'll stop telling you stories from your (laughs) own life. I'll let you tell your story. Go ahead. What happened? Uh, yeah. So, um, I've, I went to this camp when I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was my first sleepaway camp. It was all girls. Uh, it was, you know, by a lake there was a dock there was cabins there was a mess hall uh you know we did uh table banging songs and like everybody had uh their own specific ritual that that they would do upon coming to camp uh and uh this was my my first year there and i met um this girl who had gone you know a few years prior she was a pro she was a pro already she taught me everything from like the nuanced flag raising song to uh how to swim (laughs) how old were you eight years old eight years old man (laughs) did not know how to swim uh yeah but uh, i i learned so much from this person um they were you know undoubtedly the most popular person at what camp. was this person's name? Uh, this is this person's name is Alex Alexandra. Alex. Okay. Yeah. And she was the most popular person. She was blonde. She was athletic. She was so happy. She was so smart. Um, she just embodied uh, the concept of camp and what it represented. She was she was the poster girl for this camp. She could have been, you know. Other than uh, you know what she looked like, mm-hmm. what. Did she have a magnetic personality or Absolutely. like what made her popular? Yeah, she uh, she just made people feel very important. 
Um, She made people feel like they were uh, the only ones there when she was talking to you. There was a spotlight on you, like this big golden light. Uh, She was just really interested in what you had to say, uh, which made me... Um, which astounded that she would want to know what I had to say, being a newbie, being very awkward. Uh, but I don't know, we just had this immediate um, connection and we were bunkmates. And really, I don't have a lot of pictures of her um, because, we, yeah, you know, I didn't have a cell phone, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, there wasn't like a photographer at the camp like they have nowadays to capture the magic. It was just kind of... She exists a lot in my mind. Interesting. The only picture I have of her really is uh, us with wet lake hair that we had just braided for each other. That is, <laughs> on wow. On our bunks, yeah. That is so... That's like... We're like 10. <laughs> that is, that's exactly what camp should look like. Yeah, exactly. That, that sounds like camp. Yeah. Um, so this friendship, um, it only existed in camp, I think you told me. Yeah, it did. We didn't really talk um, as soon as camp ended, which was um, really interesting. It's something that I don't have now that I can just put friendships on hold. You know, like, like you would go back. To we the would camp? go. We would go back, and we would just start up all over again. How it's like long nothing were you in this changed. Camp together. Uh, we were there well, eight, nine, ten, <laughs> eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. But yeah, we were in the camp for eight years together. Okay, so oh wow, yeah. So it was a, uh, it was, it was a really, it was a really long time. It was this beautiful uh, time capsule <laughs> of a, of a friendship. Yeah, because it only, it, it did only exist um, at camp and. Uh, you know, I I didn't. The friendship know. didn't exist outside of camp. No, which was so you guys were like thick as thieves during the when summer. we were at this camp. Yeah, but I I didn't know anything about her family other than uh, you know her sister that she mentioned sometimes. I didn't know where she went to school. I didn't know a lot about her, uh, but you know I knew the camp things about her. I knew where she liked to sit in a canoe. I knew the first thing that she uh, wrote on her bunk, you know, when she when she got there, I knew that she was always the first one to take out a spider. You know, I knew all these things about her that nobody else would ever know. And I feel like that was enough. Like, I didn't need to know all those other things. I had this special um, version of her. And what's interesting, too, is... Um you know, you knew someone while their personality was being formed. Mm-hmm. They're so young. It's such a formative time. Yeah. Being, uh, you know, those girlhood years are, yeah. are very special and strange. Those late night talks in the cabin taught me more about myself than I've ever, I've ever really explored. <laughs> so, you know, so this is a very yeah. powerful friendship for you. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, mm-hmm. um, was there a particular reason you didn't reach out between the summers? Like, between the times you went to camp? It's a really good question. <laughs> You'd think people who were such... Who saw each other so highly uh, would would reach out to each other. Because I don't think we lived that far, actually. Um, we just had our own lives. We weren't... I don't think we were interested in a lot of the same fields. We shouldn't hold back a friendship by any means, but... I was going more of a of a creative route. She was going uh, more into uh, to nursing, more of an academic route, and uh, 
I don't know, she had her, her best friends, her group of friends, I had my friends and yeah, I just, I just didn't think we had a need. We didn't, we didn't doubt that the friendship wouldn't be as strong when we came back. It's interesting because, um, although I've not done summer camps as much, I have been in plays or summer camps that are for theater (laughs) as a young person. And, um, it's weird. You will fall in love with your cast mm-hmm. over the course of a month and you'll all become the best of friends. Yeah. And everyone at the cast party will be like, let's never let this friendship die. <laughs> and it always dies. It always dies. I dies. mean, you're always happy when you see each other again, but it never translates to the real world a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, I mean, that's when, when it does, it's like this miraculous thing. That's why I think people tell this are so excited to tell the story of their friendship. Just like, yeah, we met doing Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> like, right. It's such a special thing because they do never last. They don't. Um, and, but, but this one, this one I feel would have. So, um, yeah. Getting to the hard part. Which is, what, yeah, the, the would have is the yeah, sinister. what happened? Um, so uh, one year, so this was when uh, I was, uh, I was 16. I was getting, um, jobs I was working, uh, and I, I didn't go to camp that year. Um, and it was, uh, we, we took like this little camp photo. Uh, we had like a group of five of us that would take this camp photo, uh, at the end of every summer. And, uh, I wasn't in it one year and then, uh, another member of the group wasn't in it another. And then, uh, eventually kept going that, so um, every year there was, and there was less and less of us in the photo. And then one tragic day, uh, Alex posted a picture of her just alone <laughs> in the, in the pose that we would take. She was the only one she at the camp. She was the only one left. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it made me feel really sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I said, you know, I promise we'll come, you know, and be counselors, you know, as soon as we can all make it and free up that month of our lives, we'll all come and we'll all take the picture again. Uh, so I went to uh, Manchester, England on exchange when I was 19 uh, to study abroad. Um, and it was like eight in the morning. I was waking up in uh, my tiny little apartment and I got a text from one of the members of this uh, five-member group that we had at camp. The people from the photo. Yeah, yeah, one of the one of the girls from the photo, and uh, and she texted me, um, and it was it was very short. It was it was quite jarring. It, it just said uh, Alex passed away last night. Oh my god. And uh, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family. I was just kind of like there alone with this text that was just kind of tearing my whole world apart like uh, no no explanation just saying our friend has passed like, away like did you hear alex yeah passed away last night and i i asked so many follow-up questions because i i didn't understand like she was in newfoundland studying at memorial and you know she was you know really nice and healthy as far as i knew you How know she was were you guys at this time um she she was my age as well yeah, so, so she was 19. 19, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's so young. And um, uh, essentially what happened, um, I don't have the, the full story. Um, I, I don't have uh, the all the details, but she was um, at a party and she drank a beer and something happened in her brain that um, didn't uh, didn't add up and, and she just became non-responsive almost. Like had 
a beer, just one beer, and then just everything. It, it was. I I don't know if it was it was one beer or or a right. few, but but certainly yeah, and uh, something just yeah happened. It was so so fast. So just kind of one of these like freak accidents where so, so people weird. don't even really know what did it. It just the body reacted it, it, in some way. It could not have been foreseen at right. all. Yeah. Wow. You know, you hear about things like that sometimes mm-hmm. and it's absolutely terrifying because... You don't know what your body's doing at any, at any moment of the day. And she you had no know like known allergy to that or something. No, no, not at all. Wow. That's fucking crazy. Um, yeah, nobody, nobody saw it coming for sure. And she was surrounded by friends, you know, it was... And it was just kind of sudden and she passed yeah. away quickly? Yeah. Oh I mean, my God. I, I think um, her, her life was prolonged uh, for, for uh, a, a little bit, but uh, like she, she was able to get to a hospital. My God. So what impact did this have on you? Um, I wasn't really allowing myself to be impacted. I, I couldn't really share um, any of it. Like there, you know, I, I was, I felt really, really more stranded than I ever have. Uh, you know, I could talk to people online about it. I mean, everybody uh, in, there was like a Facebook group made um, for uh, the girls who went to the camp and we were all, you know, posting our memories and everything, but I felt so detached from mm-hmm. it. I felt like I was just like floating. I didn't really know what to do. Um, so that day, it was almost like my mind just like shut off and I just set off walking. Um, and I found uh, a florist and I got uh, a bunch of uh, yellow and orange. Uh, I, th- I think they were Gerbras together. It was just a bouquet of, of brightly colored flowers. And um, I looked up parks, you know, just to, I, I would I just wanted to be in nature. I wanted to be in a park. And the first park that came up was uh, Alexandra Park. And that's a name. Oh, and my that, God. It was, it was really, really... You know when you're like, oh, world? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I went straight there. Uh, and I... It was it was really nice. It was like a it was a, like a pond surrounded by ducks, and there was like a little dock. So I put the I put I wrote her a little letter, and I put it on the dock, and then I just kind of left it for months and months and months. I just kind of like left it there and just continued my life because I couldn't. I I want to know what now that you've had time mm-hmm. to process that. What did you learn from this? Because um, I think every experience yeah, leaves it, you with something. I I'll definitely regret <laughs> more regret. than anything. Why, why do you regret? Uh, well, because we just believed that our friendship would, you know, be prolonged and, and last, you know, forever. Because I, I genuinely did believe that. But I didn't put um, as much as I should have into it. Right. A few weeks before um, before she died, she commented on one of my pictures. Uh, I was visiting Newfoundland for uh, a mm-hmm. wedding at the time. And uh, she said, like, oh, my gosh, I live there. We should hang out. <laughs> like, we should meet up. And I never responded to it. And it eats at me. 
all the time. Oh my god. So it's it's yeah, it's definitely it's definitely that I put so much work into not not that relationships to should be work, but definitely, you know, as an adult, as an adult who works and is You can't to have take a things for granted. You, you can't, do not yeah. know. I think we all make the mistake of assuming when we picture, you know, the hypothetical of us dying, mm-hmm. we're always really old when we imagine <laughs> it. But yeah. only lucky people get to be really old yes. when they die. Yeah. So I, I think that would, that would be the, uh, the main thing. I, I'm always sending pictures of, of, of things to my friends that like, oh, you gave me this bracelet thinking of you. Like I'm always, I'm always doing but that. But that's such I, a beautiful lesson to take from it. I think you should be very proud of yourself that you actually took the time to note that and go, okay, I'm going to live in the moment with my friendships. Yeah. I'm not going to take anything for granted. That's great that you know that mm-hmm. at 21 at 21 you know that <laughs> i did it <laughs> um thank you so much for being on the show and sharing that story thank you that was very personal and very beautiful um would you like to promote anything um i uh i'm <laughs> sorry can you say that again <laughs> no, it's okay yeah. the, the, they, i know we just had a very serious talk yeah <laughs> um um, are there any things that you'd like to promote? Do you have any shows coming up or a social media account? Uh, yeah, I have, uh, I have a couple shows coming up uh, on Friday. I'm at a Good News Comedy at Comedy Bar. Uh, and then afterwards, I'm on Beer Beer, which is an improv show at Oh, Social I love Capital. that show. It's That's a great a fun show. One. Um, okay. And yeah, follow me on, on everything. It's, uh, it's spelled the same way on everything. It's G-L-E-N-Y-S-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L, Glenis.Marshall. You'll find me. There aren't a lot of women with that ancient a name. Glenis.Marshall. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm sitting here with Raisha Sirwa. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, Raisha is my dental hygienist. Yay! You make my teeth so <laughs> clean and beautiful. Uh, and you also tell me great stories while I'm in the chair. I mean, you have to be good at stories because, I mean, I can't speak, so it has to be one-sided. <laughs> That's true. And I find that um, I've had a lot of different very interesting experiences in my life. I've been very fortunate in that that regard. Yeah, so, so you have lots of good stories mm-hmm. to tell. Oh, also, you are not just a dental hygienist. You co-host the Carabana Parade here in Toronto yes, I do. on CP24. Yeah, you've seen me there from 2016, 2017, 2018, and this summer you'll be seeing me in 2019 as well. So, yes, that's lots of fun. I also do some modeling for the costumes, so I'm well entrenched in that whole vibe. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Of, super Car- fun. Carabana. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you have kind of a... a um, I want to call it a ghost story, but it's not terrifying. It's kind of a, f- a familiar ghost story. Yeah. So can you walk us through what happened? Sadly, in 2010, I lost my brother in a car accident. It was very sudden. And it, when you have an accident like that, you don't get a chance to say goodbye. My brother loved pot. 
he had a grow up in the house uh, there in his house there were 30 nice lively plants of the white widow in there he spoke to them <laughs> like they were family members and it was a big thing for him so how old was he when he, he was 37 he was young he was oh, 37 man. yeah and this it was is a long time ago or? 10 years it was wow. yeah it was quite tragic and it's just me and him so i was very close to him my mother was also close to him my cousin was also close to him and before him i never really felt that there was this whole life after death thing i believed in ghosts i believed that there were these places that were haunted when i was a kid i always thought about that but i never thought of my own loved ones coming back to visit so was i surprised when he came back at, at first he would um well the first time i actually really sensed that he was there i was sitting in my house in january windows closed and i'm helping my son with his homework and someone blew pot in my face on my right side wait hold on, let me I, just, I swear to you, god the smell of pot there was like it, marijuana smoke in it your was face? it wasn't just the smell of pot it was somebody blowing so i felt the the actual breeze of this breath of marijuana and the, the smell and I just went, whoa, hey, whoa. And I just thought, okay, I'm losing my marbles. Obviously, this is part of me, my grieving process, whatever. What amazes me is that you automatically assume that it's your brother who's recently passed. Oh, who likes the not- pot? I mean, I don't smoke pot. I'm, I'm totally for it. I think it's great. Legalization, awesome. Go for it. Great. I'm not judgy. He did his thing. And I... At first, I wasn't sure what on earth was going on. Was it a presence? Did you feel no. like it was another person? What no. would make you immediately go, no. it's his ghost blowing pot smoke in my face? I didn't think that immediately. I just thought, what the hell is going on? So this blew, and then I started, and I just, you know, froze almost, and I'm helping my son with his home. He's not really clued into anything that's going on here. I just, I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And then he blew on the other side and i'm like okay this is not random what there's something going on here yeah because he blew on my my right side and that's when it, he caught my attention and then he blew on my left side and I'm like ooh, okay something's going on here there's nobody in the house smoking pot nobody nobody there's no pot in the house it was window the the, the windows were closed it was january there's there's no explanation for this okay when was the next time you tried to reach out um, I didn't try to reach out. He tried to reach no, him, out. Oh, yeah. him. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. So one time I was uh, coming ho- coming to work. And as I'm coming to up the stairs, which you're familiar with, you know, these stairs. Yeah, as these you came stairs. Up to see me. Yeah. Right, right. At the midway point, same thing. Pot just like swirling through there. And I'm thinking, nobody is here. Where did this come We're from? We're in Yorkville. No one's smoking. It was deal. also 7.30 in the morning. Like, what kind of deranged... Anyways, you must really like your pot if you're getting up and you're having that before your Cheerios. Whatevs. <laughs> so I go up to work and um, I asked anybody else in the office if they smelled that. They didn't. I asked the people that came in after me, did you smell that? Nobody. It was just me. And I thought, okay. There's something going on here. Again, this is early after he died. So, um, and and I was devastated. I was so broken when he when he died. It was just, you know, I, I'm one of those people that kind of can bounce back to a lot of things, but that really, that tore a, a hole in my heart that's never quite closed since. 
At what point did you make the connection that you believed it was him? Um, the next one was uh, I was driving an office manager from here. She no longer works here, but I was driving her home from work. Uh-huh. And so we got into my car. We're heading home. She texted me later on and she said, you know, I know you don't smoke pot. And when we got into your car, it didn't smell. But I have to tell you, your car reeked of smoke by the time we, you dropped me off. It, like I could smell the pot smoke. Like, wh- what's that all about? And I was just like, oh, I don't know what to tell you, right? So there was that. I finally got up the nerve to talk to my cousin about this, who was also close to my brother. She's more of a believer than I am in the afterlife. She's also very in tune with a lot of things. You know, there's some people that are quite in tune with things. Right. And she told me, yeah, every time he comes visits me, I smell that. Like, okay, I'm not going crazy. It's not just me. And then I went to my mom, who is not into the woo-woo at all. And I said to her, this has happened. She said to me, and she's confirmed with me, that, yeah, I smell them too sometimes. What? Yeah. Okay, so, so it's, you yeah. also told me when we talked about this before, mm-hmm. a story about how you feel like his presence was in your bedroom at yeah. one point. Yeah, early on too, and I'd be going to bed crying and whatever. And I missed him. I missed him terribly. And then he was there. Now, when I say what he looked like, the room is dark. I am awake. And I'm seeing him, but kind of like a Casper him, you know? He's white. He's bright. He's young. He's happy and he's whole. And he do, he's not like I went to, to identify his body. Because I went to identify him. And his eyes were rolled in the back of his head, oh and he had God. blood on his you, face. Well, you that's it. Him? Yeah, but you know, my mom wanted to do it, and I said, "Like, no, I'll go there." She says, "No, wait till I get there." And I said, "No," because we all wanted to make sure it was him. When you get that phone call, and the police come to you, or like the police, when they come to your door and they tell you he's gone, there's a disbelief that sets it. Oh, maybe it's, they screwed it up. Maybe somebody stole his driver's license. Maybe it's not him. Whatever. So I had to go. I had to make sure. And, uh, and all you the, went? I went. And what is that experience like? Well, heartbreaking. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. You don't have to tell me no, that. No, that's okay. I, th- I think, you know, anybody that's ever experienced a loss, as we all will, if you haven't already, it's it's heartbreaking. You know, it... Um, does it... Does it... When someone you know is dead, does it not... Does it... And this is a weird question. Does it seem like a mannequin or not like the same person or does it feel different? When that's you, a really good I've question. Because I've never seen someone I yeah. know. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a good question. Um, no. And if you've ever gone to a visitation to a funeral and they're up at the front of that funeral hall and they're in the box, you know it's them. You know it's not a mannequin. You know it's them. So I knew it was him. And the, I, I, when I remember that day, I don't remember the horror of it. I remember the sadness, the loss, the whole. But one thing that really grabs me about that day is his smell. He'd been partying the day before and he smelled like cologne. He smelled so good. And I, my sweater had his smell because I was embracing him. He was in a body bag, but I was still embracing him. And um, I didn't want to wash wash that sweater for a long time. So I remember that, and I also remember that when I touched him, he was still warm. So he was losing his warmth, 
um, and he wasn't cold and I was so grateful for that I, I know it sounds like a silly thing but it just brought him just that last memory of him even though yeah okay he was bloody and he was broken and, and whatever I didn't see what how mangled his body was he was in the bag and they had it zipped up to his neck wow so he he was still intubated from when they were trying to uh, to resuscitate him so they still had the intubation thing in him and his eyes were rolled back and he still had some blood on his face they cleaned up most of him he was okay he was he was not like terrible in terrible terrible shape but, but that is nice. Yeah, that yeah, the, the that, things I focus on for whatever reason are those two positives. The smell of his cologne, the warmth and the warmth. Yeah, because well, he, that's what he I was mean by still it. with me. You know, when you're when it wasn't fully cold, he was still with me. Yeah, so, and that is really yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it is. So jumping forward, mm. you feel like he somehow reached out to you and your mother to go on a trip. Ah yes. My mother was the beneficiary for his life insurance. And she asked me, what do I do with this money? And I said, go see your accountant. Go see a professional. So she did. Now, her accountant's office is right beside a travel agent. Now, my mom and I travel together quite frequently. But I usually am the one to initiate. I come to her and I say, hey, how do you feel about Japan? She's like, yeah. And then I'll arrange it and we'll go. Uh All she does is carry a suitcase and her passport and I do everything else. This time, she leaves the accountant's office and she goes next door to her travel agency. She'd never been in one before. Her feet took her there, as she tells me later. She was driven somehow to go there. She didn't hear a little voice. She was just compelled to go. So she went. And she picked up a brochure for New Zealand. We had never discussed going to New Zealand before. Australia, yeah, but New Zealand wasn't on there. Mm -hmm. She comes back to me. And she says, and she's, you can see that she's embarrassed about this. She kind of pushed the brochure towards me and she says, I think your brother wants us to go here. And I asked her to explain, so she did. And I said, okay, well, New Zealand's kind of expensive. Give me, some, give me a few months to get my money together so I, I can go. So she and I went with my son, who was eight at the time, and my aunt. Mm-hmm. So it was the four of us and we went to New Zealand. New Zealand has many islands, but there's mostly North Island and South Island. On Christmas Eve, we were in Rotorua. If anyone's been to Rotorua before, they know it's quite geothermal. There's a lot of that sulfuric, rotten egg smell that you can... that it you smells can, like yeah, farts. Yep, yeah, basically. Okay. So we woke up Christmas Eve, and it smelled like farts. And my son and I are gagging. We're like, ah! But we knew we had to pack up our stuff after breakfast and leave because we were leaving. We were driving all the way to Wellington, and then we were going to take a ferry and leave the North Island for the South Island. Why am I telling you you guys this? And you were in a hotel? We were in a hotel, but I'm telling you this because it was imperative we not leave anything behind. Right. So, we went to breakfast. We came back from breakfast. The room smells like pot. Smells like weed in the room? Like weed in the room. Yeah, right? So, my son noticed it. He says, oh, it smells really nice in here. I'm thinking this (laughs) eight, nine-year-old is like, oh, nice, eh? What am I in for later? Right. Okay. So I noticed that my brother's scent was there and the the sulfur smell had left. So I figure, okay, well, he's wishing us a Merry Christmas. He's looking over us. Maybe he's telling us why we're here. I don't know. Anyways, 
So I packed up everything. I let my son leave the room to go meet his grandmother and grand aunt while I looked around. We've all done this before when we left a hotel room. You look under the beds and I leave something there. You look through all the drawers. Do you leave anything? I thought I got everything. And then I went for the door. I figured I'm done. I went to, to leave this hotel room and probably never see it again. What happened then? Something grabbed my arm just before I got to the door. I actually had my door, my hand on the doorknob and something grabbed my arm. So it was, they grabbed your yeah, arm? Yeah, on my left arm just below the elbow. It was a hand and it was burning like acid. It hurt. It stopped me in my tracks and I'd never felt that before. Immediately I started rubbing my arm like it felt like a sunburn but a hand a hand with so pressure. You didn't see a hand, but you felt I a felt hand. the pressure of a hand. Somebody grabbed me and it was burning. And I just stopped and I started rubbing and rubbing and I looked up in the air to see if something had fallen on my arm. Nothing. Rubbing and rubbing. And then a thought went through my head. Not I didn't hear a voice, so I want to make that clear. A thought went through my head. Go check the safe. And I went to check the safe. Arm still burning. My son and my passports were in the safe. I'd forgotten them in there. And that was imperative that I had to bring them because we would, would not screwed up the whole totally, trip. Totally. We yeah. wouldn't have gotten, I wouldn't have noticed until it was time to come back to Canada that I don't have a passport. Like, where are they? And as soon as I found them, the hand released me and off we went. And I, I knew he was looking out for me. I just knew he was. We made our way to South Island and there's a place on South Island called the Chasm. Everything fell into place when I saw the chasm. If you go on the internet and you look up images of this place, just type in the chasm, South Island, New Zealand, and you will see pictures of this very strange place. It's like you're looking into a cave yeah. that's below you. So you're standing over railings and you're looking into a cave. And in that cave, there's water running down into the cave and there's mist coming out. And, it, and I got the distinct feeling, and I asked the people around me how they felt about looking at this place. I got this distinct feeling that if I fell in there, I'd never come out again. That I'd find everybody dead I've ever known would be down in there. It just felt like you were looking into another dimension. It was wow. an eerie place. It, there was nothing scary about it. It was almost a religious place uh, that you just felt this aura about it that you needed to respect it and uh, that it was it was a very special place that may lead you into another dimension it, it, it was it was quite an experience and everybody that went there just went ooh whoa you think that I think that's the reason he, he wanted to send me there to be honest I had this feeling and my mother had it too after we left there and we compared notes, she said, um, if we want to go see him, all we need to do is go down there. Well, yeah, yeah. that's what she said. Yeah, yeah, that's all we need to do. Just go down in the chasm, you'll find him. You won't find a way back, but you'll find him. He'll be that's, down there. That's really beautiful. I, mm -hmm. So I guess for a few years, you experienced him reaching out and then that kind of dissipated? It mostly, yes, I would say that. I would say the first year is the year that I would sense him the most. And um, he helped me get through my grief, I, I, I would assume, because by the end of that year, it was more like, okay, I'm learning to live my life without him now. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, most of the pain had gone away. By then, it still hurts. It always will. I, I don't feel 100% me, but 
he he's um his death has inspired me in many ways to just kind of live life fuller if when you're with somebody for that length of time and then they leave you all of a sudden mortality kind of hits well it hit me in the face all of a sudden oh my life has an end point i'd never really thought about that in finite terms before but my life has an end point yeah and uh what i can do with it in that meantime mm, we'll see we'll see when i was 12 i went to a sleepover and it was uh, not very common for West Indian parents at that time in the 70s to let your kids sleep over anywhere. In some cultures, it was okay, but in ours, it was kind of a weird thing. So I was 12. There's a whole room with 12-year-olds that were in my grade. And the hostess pulled out a Ouija board. Now, I'd heard about these things before, and I got scared. But everyone was trying it, so peer pressure pushed me towards this thing. And I put my fingers on it with with the classmates, and I asked four questions. Mm-hmm. First question is, am I going to get married? I already knew the answer to that. No bloody way. You know, because I never had any inkling to get married. I was 12 years old. I was like, I'm going to just be like this rogue person, living my life, doing this, skydiving. No. The Ouija board told me, yes, I'm getting married. I'm like, what? This thing is trash, man. What's his name going to be? They spelled out... M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Michael. The only Michael I knew was Michael Jackson. So I'm like, yeah, right. I don't even know this guy. Right. Did I not end up marrying... A Michael? I did. Wow. And I asked it how many kids I would have. It also gave me the correct answer with that. Last question was, when am I going to die? And it told me 84. So I've got... 32 more years to do a lot of stuff. Well, then let's, <laughs> then let's make them good. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was really great. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Truce Be Told, the podcast. Loss and saying goodbye. Thank you for listening, everybody. Now, before I launch into a whole long list of thank yous, I want to tell you about a one-man show that you need to see. Mm-hmm. Trevor Pullman is a patient man. He is an angel. He edits this podcast, and he allows me to come over to his apartment and yammer on in his ear and tell him what buttons to push And he's patient as I make him replay audio clips over and over and over again because I'm obsessive. He's just a great editor and he makes this podcast tolerable to listen to. And Trevor has a one-man show and I want to tell you about it. You see, Trevor has a podcast at the moment. It's called Belief It or Not. And it's a podcast all about religion. You see, he is an atheist, and he was raised uh, religiously, but clearly he has rejected this, and he finds religion a very interesting topic, and so he does deep dive episodes into religion on this podcast. It's very interesting, and if you're into that sort of thing, look up Belief It or Not. So now, he's created a one-man show, which will be at the Toronto Fringe Festival this summer. And the show is called Billy Bounty's Miracle Revival. 
and it's a solo show that is set at a tent revival. So if you want to have a laugh and you find religion an interesting subject, look for Billy Bounty's Miracle Revival at this upcoming summer's Toronto Fringe. Thank you, Trevor. You do so great on this podcast, and I appreciate you. Okay, let's get into thanking some other people, starting with the guests on this episode. They were so great and so brave. Thank you to Michael Royick. Thank you to Glennis Marshall. And thank you to Raisha Sirawa. You guys were fantastic. Thank you to Matthew Reed for making the music. Thank you to Catherine Fogler, who did the podcast photography, and Kurt Furla, who did the graphic design on that podcast photography. Thank you to the boys at the Sonar Network, Cody Crane and Michael Mangiardi. Thank you for producing this podcast. Guys, I have an Instagram. You can follow it if you want. My handle is at Mullo. That's L-I-N-D-S-O-M-U-L-L-O. Guys, there's only a few more episodes left of Truth Be Told, the podcast. So let's go out with a bang and not a fizzle. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.